I am so glad you could join us. I'm your host, Mo Gaudat. This podcast is nothing more than a conversation between two good friends sharing inspiring life stories and perhaps some nuggets of wisdom along the way. This is your invitation to slow down with us. Welcome to Slow Mo. Oh, you came back. Well, that's good. That means you didn't find the conversation last week too controversial. And I hope you had a few laughs with us as Robert Glover and I discussed what the truth about being a nice guy is and what's the problem with being one. We discussed a society where there is a need for men empowerment so that men can rise up to their responsibility and play the role they're supposed to play in relationships, and in our society. We spoke about the fear of prioritizing our needs and the importance of emotional tension in a relationship. Dr. Robert Glover is the author of the brilliant, though a bit controversial, best-selling classic, No More Mr. Nice Guy. He is the authority on what is known as the Nice Guy Syndrome. Through his book, his classes, his therapy group, he has helped thousands of nice guys transform from being passive and sometimes resentful victims to being empowered, fully integrated, responsible men. And in doing so, he not only transformed their professional careers and intimate relationships, but the impact they could play in society as a result. Before we get started, I will remind you once again that for this conversation, you need to keep an open mind. It may trigger you negatively sometimes, but try to remember the nice guy syndrome does not demonize what being nice is at all. As a matter of fact, it's a movement that we hope would build a better world as men become more responsible and sometimes strict when it comes to their responsibilities. So please listen closely and give this conversation the benefit of the doubt. Right? Yeah. So so you you often talk about, often is the the time I spend in the UK. Why do I say that? I don't know why. (laughs) Anyway, uh, you, you, you often talk about codependence versus interdependence and the difference between them. And, and you know, in a way, I I, want to go back to the definition of a real man, but, but let's, visit that very quickly huh? because what you did there was what she needed okay mm-hmm. and uh, not exactly what she said right and that in a way allows her to feel that in the future if you make that decision she can depend on you trying to find what that's, is good for her that's a good analysis of that excellent yeah yeah and so so what where where do we fall when we start to get into interdependence when we start to say i can't be without her i can't live without her i can't have happiness without her or you know where does that go wrong yeah well where it goes wrong and and, you know i i don't use the word codependency in the book Mm -hmm. no more mr nice guy and i did that on purpose because at that time when i wrote the book nobody had actually addressed the issue of codependency in men all the books were either about family members, usually of alcoholics, addicts, or women. And, uh, and I wanted to write a book towards men without creating predeceived or confusing ideas. Well, what do I mean codependent? So I don't even use the term. But nice guy syndrome is basically codependency. 
another term that you could use is called borrowed functioning. And, mm-hmm. and, and that's kind of a, a good way to look at it because basically for a codependent, they don't exist unless they are in relationship with somebody else. Unless there's a borrowed sense of, oh, I'm loved, I'm needed, I'm valued because, because, whatever, fill in the blank with whatever the because is. Healthy interdependence is when two people can stand alone but choose to stand together. Mm. That's a big difference. And uh, another one of my favorite books is by uh, Dr. David Snarch called Passionate Marriage. And he talks a lot of, about fusion and where we're like, oh, I'm, I'm dependent on you. We got to be together versus healthy differentiation. And he, he stole the terms from a guy named Murray Bowen who wrote about this years ago. He steals it very well. Snarch, I love. He's, one of, he's brilliant. But most of us, when we get into relationship, most, how we view most modern relationships, they're fused. I call them ownership relationships. Well, you're my girlfriend, therefore you should. Well, you're my boyfriend, therefore you should. You're my wife, you should. You're my, my, my husband, you should. Those ownership nature relationships are codependent by nature and, and are dependent on borrowed functioning. Now, Snarch teaches an exercise to couples to, to, to kind of illustrate this, where he, ha- he calls it um, hugging until relaxed. And he has a, two people hug each other. Partners hug each other. But first, be grounded. You know, they're, they're, they're grounded in their own two feet, standing, and they hug each other without leaning on the other. They mm-hmm. just hug until they relax enough to just melt into each other. Mm-hmm. They don't lose their individual self. They don't have to give that up to be in this embrace. They still support themselves, but they let go into the other. And both, and one person doing that often then kind of makes it easier for the other person to do it because calm is contagious, just like anxiety is contagious. So that's interdependent, where we can be on our own two feet, but yet relax into the other. And, you know, and, and I'm not a dominant guy by nature. And, but in my relationships with women, I've learned that they didn't want to be in control or dominant. So I've learned there are certain ways I can step up and lead in certain ways. I can, give, I can give examples of that that are pretty simple, but seem to be pretty effective. And I preach to the woman I'm with, no matter, you know, I, I'm on my third marriage, you know, been in a few relationships along the way. I preach, we're a team. It's not that what this person does is most important. What this person does, we're a team. We're going to work together to bless each other's lives. Let's work to make each other's lives better than they could have been apart. Now, mm-hmm. as my coach, who I work with, John Wineland says, you can want your woman, but as soon as you start needing your woman, you start losing your power. Now, and this also goes back to what we're talking about just a little bit ago. As soon as, as a man starts needing the approval of any woman, so a woman he's trying, you know, wanting to attract, to date, to take out, a woman who's in a relationship, as soon as, as we, we get into that, oh, either I need you or I need your approval and validation, Everything's going to go to hell in a handbasket. He can't ask himself, what's the right thing to do here? Should I let her out here or keep driving around the block? That question doesn't even enter in. Oh, oh, she wants to be left out here. I better let her out here because that's what she said she wanted. And then the woman goes, oh, he failed the test again. You know, I I can't Mm -hmm. trust him enough to, to open up. So this doesn't have anything to do, again, with control or dominance in how I will usually think of it. But it does mean that the woman knows you are strong enough that she can count on you. She can depend on you. And and they'll test it. Yeah. In in charge is the word. It's not, it's not dominance. It's I'm in charge. I can 
be responsible enough to take this and I know will get us home. I know, I know I'm responsible to get that done. It's not dominance. Dominance is I will force you to do something that you don't want and is not good for you. Now, if sure. we, we can even parse it down more if we want to, but in these kind of conversations where people can't get feedback, it gets tougher. I actually believe that, that going back to Fifty Shades of Grey is that I actually would like to use the word dominance and submission. But they have there's, there's, they're, they're so charged nowadays in social discussion, it's hard to do. But, but I really do believe to really have the best sex, there does have to be an interplay of dominance and submission. It, somebody's got to do it. Somebody's got to be done, too. Now, it can trade off back and forth. And I know we don't like the words dominant submission, but to receive, you have to submit. There's just no way around it. You got to let go. And to be done too, there has to be a doer. There has to be somebody, you know, that's got some sort of strategy in their mind says, I'm doing this next, right? I'm taking us here. So if we can get kind of the social vibe out of it that, you know, that, that, you know, because a lot, a lot of people have been dominated in not very nice ways. Right. Mm. And, and, but if, if this is open hearted, if, if this is authentic and caring, the dominance and submission is at the core of any polarity and, and memorable sex. You can't have it without it. You're going to have just plain vanilla sex without some trading off back and forth of penetrating and being penetrated and, and being open to both. But, but then I think here is the most controversial conversation of our modern world at all. Are you... Are you saying in any way, Robert, that we're not equal? We're amazingly equal. And you, you mentioned the UK. I'm from America, so I'm going to use American sports references. In football, American football, every player on that team is equal and essential. But that doesn't mean that they all play the same position. The, the quarterback and center are both essential. They're equal but they don't play the same position. They don't do the same thing. The running back and the, the, the cornerback, the, the linebacker are important, equally important, but they don't play the same role. So thinking that equal means the same is one of the biggest mistakes. One of the most tragic things has happened to relationships. Now, you know, at work, okay, maybe that works fine. In intimate relationship, sameness gets boring really, really quick. And, and in my experience, Again, I'll go back to, I've known and worked with a lot of really strong, successful women. And, and again, they don't want to be, quote, equal. I mean, they, 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 of course, want their relationships to be equally yoked, but they don't want to be in the same role that their partner is. They want a diversity of roles, and they want to be able to move out of that role of I'm in charge of everything all the time. You know, when most women I know, when they come home from work, they want to let go and be done too and not have to be in that role. So equal does not mean the same. Equal just means equals. But it, differences are what make the world go around. But that doesn't mean one, one, this shade of difference and that shade of difference, one is better than the other. There's just differences. And without them, again, there's no polarity. There's no tension. There's no excitement. There's nothing to look forward to. Amen. I think this is incredibly spot on. I will, I, will, I will say, though, I think the most eye-opening part of your work for me has been, okay, so it's, there is no scarcity of books out there that tell men how to get the woman, okay? Yeah, there's a bunch of them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it's, you go to YouTube and there, is, there must be like a million 
dating advice video over there. Right? There's a lot of it. Yeah. The, the thing that I adore about what, you're, what you do, and you actually say it publicly, is that for you to make the world better, you'd better step up and assume your role as the masculine of the relationship. If you're the, I mean, also, by the way, I think people should know, you, you work with a lot of gay men, for example. And your, your approach is not men or women. Your approach is if you assume the masculine role, yeah. assume it properly. And that will change not only the relationship, it will also change your life and the world as a result. Are you saying here that the, that the role we're trying to play by taking charge, at least to me, this is how I heard it. It's not about my gain of getting the more attractive mm -hmm. woman. Okay. It's about really making the machine of life work properly, right? Making it actually last and continue. You know, I, I've, I've written a book called Dating Essentials for Men. So it's another one of those books on there, out there on how to get the women. But when I started teaching men dating skills, what, I, what I've been saying all along, and I say it in that book, I mean, I, I didn't learn how to date until I was in my late 40s. I never saw myself as a dating guru in any sense of the term. But what I say in, in the Dating Essentials for Men book is that this book is not really about dating. This book is really about expanding your social and emotional intelligence. I'm just using men's deep desire to have a girlfriend, to have a relationship, to get laid as motivation to expand their emotional and social intelligence. So you've teed up another space for me that's, you know, a really area of passion for me. Most men, you know, and it goes back to what you and I talked about at the beginning of our conversation. Most men reach adolescence and adulthood having no idea what it means to be a man, what it means to be male, what it means to be masculine. And I'm not anybody that I'm going to say, well, to, to be masculine, you got to be this way. Or to be a guy, you got to be this way. You know, I, I, I don't want to tell anybody what it means to, to be, well, for them to be male or masculine. But what I found is for most men, all we've been told since we were little boys is don't be that. Don't be this. Don't be like your father. Don't be like those bad men. Don't, don't be angry. Don't be selfish. Don't. All we know is what don't be, right? <laughs> Nobody's ever helped us embrace us, who we are, and to know what to be, what to make us happy. And I think that where, where I see the cause of that is that nowadays we just don't have tribe or masculine initiation sure. for boys Absolutely. and for, in all of human existence up until probably the last couple hundred years we've had some form of tribe or masculine initiation and and now boys just don't have that so it's interesting how you teed this up because in, in the book i'm writing now about positive emotional tension I, the premise i'm writing it is is learning about women's need for emotional tension and learning how to live both live a life and interact with women in ways that, in, that increase the positive emotional tension in ways that women benefit. They, they get the bliss of, of being lovingly and powerfully penetrated by a conscious man. And it makes you more attractive as a man to, to all things feminine. It is also a powerful masculine initiation. You, know, you and I have been talking really this whole time really about the struggle between men and women. That's really what we've been talking about and, and trying to figure that out. Well, if, you know, a million and a half years into human existence and men and women are still struggling and trying to figure each other out, that's a pretty ripe area for profound growth.
right? Totally. Where, where we struggle the most, I think, as is the most profound place to grow. So by men learning about emotional tension, learning how to interact with women, learning how to live masterfully, learn, learning how to put a dent in the universe, learning you know, how, how, to, how to show up in grounded, open-hearted, embodied, conscious ways, right? I believe is powerful masculine initiation. That's where I think we start making the world a better place. So here's this kind of paradoxical loop that because I want to get, I want to understand women enough to get laid. I'm going to get a masculine initiation that makes the world a better place. Yeah. That's the way I, I try to treat it and approach it. Amazing. Amazing. Because again, public opinion today somehow makes it look like being a man, being masculine is a bad thing. You know, it comes with violence. It comes with aggression, mm -hmm. being the right man isn't as a matter of fact one of the reasons our world is lacking and falling behind is because men are not really behaving as they should while actually women as well the, you know are not fully living up to that femininity if you want as you rightly said a lot of women get into being being more and more masculine because this is what is needed at work and so on and so forth i'm going to do a few quicker questions now because okay. i want i want to have all the time. I'm, the I'm, I'm on my toes. I'm ready. To <laughs> but, but, but before I do that, I want to do one more pitch for No More Mr. Nice Guy. Because honestly, guys, if you trust me, this is an absolute must read for every man and every woman that want to have a successful relationship. Now, one of the things I loved about that book is how you so unapologetically gave me assignments. It's like, who are you to give me assignments? <laughs> <laughs> but I, you know, after normally I skip the assignments. So like it's like okay yeah, I get it I'll do it in my mind very quickly and then with, yeah. with, with yeah, your too. assignments with your assignments I was like okay you know what and you you actually suggested read the whole book and then come back and do the assignments read it again and do the assignments so I followed sensei I did exactly what you said okay now one of my favorite assignments because as a nice guy I'm not very good at receiving was ask three people to do things for you today yeah. Uh, tell me a bit about this assignment, because it seems to me that the idea of self-love and being worthy, healthy self-interest is what you call it, seems to be something that's very, very important for a, a no more Mr. Nice Guy. I really... It is beyond important. It's, it's essential. I'm dropping a lot of my favorite books here. Another one of my all-time favorite books is called The Road Less Traveled by Scott oh, yeah. Peck. I've, I've heard it's the all-time best-selling self-help book. And he talks in there about you know, sections on discipline, love. And on the section on love, he talks about how children come to feel love, not just think they're lovable, but to, to be love, right? To sense yeah. I, I am love. And he says, if parents are meeting their own needs, basically filling their own buckets up, paying attention to their children, giving them enough attention that they know what the needs of their children are, and then meeting the child's needs in timely and judicious ways. I also add to that equation in consistent ways as well. The child internalizes the beliefs, I'm important, I'm lovable, my needs are important, and the world is like my family, mm -hmm. i.e. children are going to go out into the world and with, hey, I'm valuable, I'm lovable, and my needs are important and people want to help me meet them. Right? Yeah. And I, when I present this model to guys in my workshops, most of them go, oh, no, that, that, that didn't happen in my family. That's not the belief <laughs> system I grew up with. And so for most nice guys, we, because our needs were not met in these timely, judicious ways, we tend to believe I'm not important. I'm, I'm not lovable. I'm not valuable. My needs are not important. 
often for most nice guys added into that if we were kind of pulled up to be our parents we're parentified by our parent to take care of their needs we also develop a core belief that i'm not good enough and we believe the world is like our family so we go out there believing i'm not lovable my needs aren't that important i'm not good enough and the world's going to reflect that so if we want to change that a dynamic now these aren't just thoughts this is wired into our emotional brain into our amygdala into the fight flight freeze survival respiration heartbeat part of our brain to in order to overwrite that i don't know if we can completely rewrite it but to, to overwrite that operating system that machine language we have to start doing what happens to children in loving families mm. We've got to take responsibility for starting to meet our own needs in timely, judicious, and consistent ways. And that begins to overwrite, and it'll create a lot of cognitive and emotional dissonance in the process, but it begins to write, I'm important, I'm lovable, my needs are important, my needs are valuable, I'm good enough, and the world wants to love me and help me get my needs met. But it begins within self. We don't find it outside of ourselves. So in order to get to that place, Basically, we have to become love, right? Wow. We become love. It is who we are anyway. We have to rediscover it. And mm -hmm. for me, the only way I know to do it, I mean, we can tell ourselves, we can have a mantra, say a thousand times a day, I'm lovable, I'm special, I'm good enough. But if we don't take the, the action of meeting our own needs in these consistent, timely, judicious ways, we can tell ourselves, you can tell a child a hundred times a day, I love you, I love you. But if you're not meeting their needs in timely judicious ways, they won't internalize that belief that they're loved. Okay. Mm. So, so that's such a core piece of, of shifting a big part of this paradigm is we do have to start making our needs a priority. We touched on that a little bit before, and that's so challenging for so many of us nice guys. So yeah. I forget now what you teed that question up with, but maybe you can bring it back. I, 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 no, you're, I, so I, you're not such a dude after all. You're, you're well, I'm not such a dude. What do you mean by man. that? You know, you, we are love. That is, you know, that is so profound when you really think of that. I think that's that idea of fixing what was missing. That, that actually is really, really eye-opening. The reason I teed up that question is because I'm going to do the assignment right now. By that's right. The breaking free assignments. Yeah. 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 So uh, you said ask three people to do something for you. I'm going to ask a few thousand people who are listening right now, because seriously, if you're still here, you are admiring that conversation with Robert as much as I am, which basically means you find this valuable. So do your bit, tell others about it, because I think a million people should listen to Robert speaking today. Uh, you, you know me, I'm trying to make a billion people happy. I'm not going to make a billion people happy alone. The only way I can get there is for you guys to rate this five stars on your uh, podcast player, share it on social media, tell others about it. Tell others about Robert's book and books and his work. I think that really makes a difference for everyone. I'm going to go into the controversial bits now. Are you ready? By the way, I have to say I felt honored by what you just did. <laughs> Thank you. That's amazing. Yes. My, did you guys see? My sensei likes my work, right? I, I'm doing well. Let's go to the sex Ferrari. Where was that? Where did that come from? You said women are Ferrari. And we are the what? sexual what? Ferrari. Mopeds, mopeds. <laughs> Think about, it. you know, like I said, this, this is in the upcoming book that I'm working on. Think about, it. you know, we, we've got this cultural idea, you know, women aren't that highly sexual, aren't that interested in sex, that they're choosy, that they have to protect their, their precious eggs, that they're, they're 
hypergamous. You know, they got to get the best guy with the best genes and the most money. I think all that's horseshit. I, I think the men in the manosphere love talking about all that, but it's horseshit. Women are the most sexually evolved women. Human beings are the most sexually evolved creatures on the planet. They and maybe one other mammal are the only animals on the planet, female, that have sex out of season, i.e. they for fun, not just because Mother Nature says have sex now to get pregnant. Women have more parts on their body that can trigger orgasms than any other creature. We men have one, maybe two women. I'm not going to go into all the different places I've known women got triggered into orgasm. Women can think themselves into orgasms. Women can have sex and orgasm and be ready to have sex again. Men, we're basically, I'll just put it bluntly, we, we just want to find a hold again and ejaculate. That's pretty much what men see sex as, you know, just find a nice warm hole and I'm happy. Women are so much more complex. They're like, like I said, they're like Ferraris. They're complex. And they are just wired to have constant sex and a variety of sex. Now, again, men are, and maybe women are going scratching their ears going, I think a lot of women are listening going, somebody finally gets it. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 can, I can do it, blah, blah, blah. But here's the thing. Here's kind of my clincher on this. If women were not highly sexed or interested in sex or didn't want to have sex with lots of different penises, why have men worked, you know, really since the patriarchy began about 10,000 years ago and men started owning stuff rather than being tribal and communal and started owning a piece of the cow, a tree, our, our partners, our kids. Since that time began, men, I believe two things happened, like the standard narrative, wanted to start managing paternity. Since now I own stuff and resources are scarce, I better make sure if I'm taking care of a kid, it's really my own seed, my own DNA. But I think the bigger piece is, is once we quit being communally sexual as a tribe, where, where every, every man and every woman had access to partners in the tribe, because Mother Nature loves that. Mother Nature loves lots of penises and lots of vaginas, right? So when we quit doing that, and we men set up this thing, where now all of a sudden, well, you know, we got, we got, we're owning stuff and start limiting men's access to vaginas and women's access to penises. What happened is we men, so I, I got to get done. You know, I, 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 got a, I, I got a cow, I got, I got a crop, I got, I got to go to war, I got to get this done. And the, and the women, because in tribal times, we're used to just having constant sexual access. We men had to start trying to find ways to put a limiter on that Ferrari. Um, just quick, quick you, aside. You, you, you can't go more than 20 miles an hour. I, I bought a used 2007 Mercedes-Benz ML63 AMG. About Damn. Oh, it is the most powerful, naturally aspirated V8 ever put in a go grocery getter <laughs> into a SUV. Okay. It has, it has a 200 mile an hour speed limit on it, but it has a chip limiting the speed to 155. Who needs to go 155? But you can buy a chip and replace that to take the limiter off it to where I guess it'll go 200 miles an hour, which, yeah, that's my, that's my desire. I, 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 th I think for all humans, you just need to remove the chip and then na so, nature will yeah, go just, to the 220. And, and let nature do what nature does. Exactly. Yeah. So what's yeah. happened if women were not highly sexually evolved and wanted a lot of sex? Why did we invent religion about 6,000 years ago and turn sex into a sin, mainly to control the women's ask of being sexual? Why do we stone adulteresses? 
Why do we put them in burqas? Why do we put them in chastity belts? Why do we put scarred letters on their head? Why have why do we have a, in the first place? Huh? Yeah, if they're not, and why do we have a culture that is has been just filled with slut shaming? You know, for for centuries, that if a woman is sexual, it gets knocked up. Oh my God, what a terrible human being she is! If women don't like sex and aren't hard, highly wired for it. Why do we have to control it in the way that we've tried to for 10,000 years? So I'm thinking that there's something wrong with our, with our picture there. And okay. if we take away the, 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 the social narrative that we've all heard for so long and that's been forced on women and that men have bought into, and maybe we men have supported that because it scares the bejeebers out of us to be with a sexual Ferrari, right? When we're just sexual mopeds. I'll just leave it at that. But then the question becomes, is that Ferrari interested in one owner or multiple owners? All right, let me put it this way. All right, I'm going to create an experiment. I'm going to get a couple hotel rooms. You get to have one hotel room, and I'm going to bring in a lot of women for you. You get to pick the 10 women you find the most sexually attractive. Is that the and promise? I'm promising this. Okay. I'm, I'm going to put you this in This conversation hotel. is becoming interesting. Let's All go. Right. Yeah. You can have this hotel room for as long as you need it. The only assignment, this goes back to asking three people. <laughs> before, right? Their only, your only assignment is you have to terminate. You have to ejaculate in all 10 women man this podcast is family friendly what are we doing here go on okay. go on go on right. i'm with so, you and so as long as it takes you to do that is as long as it and then once you get done with the 10th woman doing whatever it takes to impregnate her 10th woman you're done so mm -hmm. about how long do you think that would take you to do that too personal but uh, a few days a few days yeah and it's always going to take a lot longer than most of us men think it will we might get through the first three relatively, uh, you know, within 24 hours. Everyone after that's going to feel like work. Right? It'll take <laughs> Okay. Now, let's take any woman. Speak of yourself, uh, Rob. Okay. Of your... our, our... <laughs> this is man talk here. Yeah. Everyone so we'll, will brag. Huh? We'll take any woman and this, this not sexually wounded or repressed, let's say, put her in a hotel room. She has to pick 10 guys that she finds sexually attractive and we're going to time her how long it takes her to terminate to orgasm with 10 men not too many hours not too many hours some women could get it done in 90 minutes some women yeah an afternoon so they're completely wired different than us and this, this is just a couple of examples of how moped we are and how ferrari <laughs> they are is, are you starting to buy in? But, but, but is that their desire? Because every woman seems to be spending her entire youthhood attempting to find that one guy and stick with that one guy. Okay. Why? You tell them. Okay. How many fairy tales and Disney movies are created that show women getting to have as many men as they want in their lifetime? Mm -hmm. None. Zero. No, it, the, you know, I, I, I'm not a big fan of the term, the patriarchy, but the patriarchy is still telling little girls, you know, just, just get that one to come rescue you. Get that one. To, to, you know, just That's a very profound statement. That's a, this is really what it is. It's like you need one and he will rescue you. Yeah. It's all like the whole the pretty of everything line, you know, when the guy says to, you know, the woman, she, what happens after the guy rescues the woman? And, you know, 
pretty woman says, oh, she rescues him right back. That's mm -hmm. a big fairy tale, right? But, but anyway, going back to it, our evolution, human evolution, is that men and women are wired to have a lot of sexual partners. Now, I'm sexually monogamous. I choose to be sexually monogamous. It's not natural. It's not wired into my DNA, but I choose it. I like it. And it's, it's one of the most, again, wherever those challenging, difficult areas are, are the growth areas. And so I use it as a, as a powerful personal growth machine to be sexually monogamous with one person. Is it how my wife and I are wired by mother nature over a million and a half years? No. Mother nature really doesn't like monogamy. It's, so, it's, it's evolutionary sin. So, yeah, exactly. Because it basically limits the possibilities of procreation, right? So it's, yeah. and the even, even, so even though, even though society will say it provides for a better environment for children to grow in. But if, if we're not living in a tribe, it does. If we're living in a tribe, that's ideal. Hmm. So you're going back to Esther Perel's work, right? Where basically the, the way I sometimes describe it is I, I, I say I'm a businessman, right? So I say that uh, idea of all of me exclusively every minute of my day for the rest of my life, right? This is, this is the, the sort of the societal contract. That is not how we're wired as humans. As a matter of fact, as a it matter is of fact, we're, yeah, we're, we're wired very differently. But then, but then that provides a, a dilemma because from one side, every every woman that I know, or many many of the women I know, when you really make them feel comfortable to share, they'll say, "Yeah, I'm interested in a few adventures too," right? Mm -hmm. But but then when they are in front of society, in front of their own sense of responsibility, they say, "But that's going to reduce my." chances of finding that one guy that might well, that's that's maybe the storyline they've been given and and remember every woman growing up grows up with constant slut shaming that a woman that wants to have i mean you know pick up susan friday's you know was it my private garden where, where she talks about the sexual fantasies of women that blew away the culture when she yeah. put that out there the things that, that that women have in their heads sexually and then going back to you know the 50 shades of gray the, oh women you know like that stuff we are still culturally so close-minded that we don't know how close-minded we are, that we've been repressing sexuality, especially female sexuality, for so many years, that seems normal, right? It seems normal. Now, the one piece that I'll add, I think a really core piece, especially for the feminine, is trust. And it is probably why for many women, it feels safest to be with one man rather than a lot of men is it gives a greater opportunity to build a deep sense of trust. And as I said, trust is essential for opening up. And mm -hmm. if, you, if you can't open up, you can't be blissed, basically. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think the core thing is not that I think every woman's looking for the one, even though they've been told to do that by culture. I think they're doing for, they're looking for the the one whom they can trust and open themselves to robert you're amazing i'm i'm so always so grateful i want i want to close with one very quick tip so that people can summarize a lot of what we spoke about you and i both here are attempting to find though controversial points hmm, uh, points that will definitely make a difference to relationships right mm -hmm. will make them better if you were to sum it up in an advice for men, and by the way, an advice for women, because I believe your work is equally valid because a woman can definitely, like your wife kisses you, to reassure you that these are the things that you need. 
I think there is a role on the woman's side to make clear what she actually needs, right? Yeah. So if you were to give advice in brief to the men listening, for them to really be the men that they can become, and for the women listening to, to really create relationships that will be fulfilling and lasting. Yeah, for, for the men, I, I say this in No More Mr. Nice Guy, I put it in the preface that I wrote when they kind of did just the cleaned up version. And I said, recovery from nice guy syndrome is not about becoming a different person or a better person. It's about becoming more you. It's about mm -hmm. loving you, embracing you, every part of you, you know, you, all the part that you like the world to see, all the parts you don't want the world to see, integrating all of those and loving and embracing you. Now, to do that, I'm, I firmly believe we men need a tribe. And I, I believe every, any way that men can find to go connect deeply with other men. I don't care if it's through martial arts. I don't care if it's through a divorce support group, through, you know, a men's group, through Mankind Project, 12 Steps, whatever, go find tribe and connect with men. I think that is the way we, we then can embrace the deepest sense of who we are and honor the fact that we're, we're a man and it's okay to be a man. And we surround ourselves with men that support that. Yeah. And for a woman. For a woman is that in my experience, the more time you spend in your masculine trying to get stuff done, which is, that's what's been imposed on women culturally. They've been told that's how you're going to get fulfilled. And there is fulfillment in that. But my experience is if you don't give yourself opportunity to be done too, to, to let go for a little while, to be open and receptive, without doing that, you're not going to find your deepest heart's longing. Mm. So again, you know, I'm, I'll encourage women to challenge that because most women nowadays have been brought up teaching. No, you got to go get the degree. You got to go get the career. You got to go compete. You got to go. But I know when, when my book came out 17 years ago, I went to New York to do a book tour and my, my editor at Barnes and Noble uh, took me out to dinner with her fiance, I think. And he was an attorney and with another couple and they were both professionals and neither women had children at that time. And both women, they were in their mid-30s, said, you know, I think I'm ready for something different. You know, they'd mm -hmm. been doing the hard-driven career, get it done. And they both said, you know, I, I think I'm, I'm ready for something different. And so I'd say to women, be willing to honor that. It's not either or. You know, you don't have to give this up to have that. But you do have to open a door for this other to happen. So I shall forever call you sensei. I shall forever, <laughs> shall for, I'll, I'll forever smile when you say it. <laughs> and, and I'll always be grateful for what you taught me, Robert, and taught so many of us. I love, love, love your work. I'm very grateful for the time that you've given us. And Thank you for this can't, invitation. And can't and wait for the next book. Come on. Write you, faster. You are love. I feel <laughs> nothing but love in your presence. So thank you for this opportunity. And uh, I look forward to talking again. What an interesting conversation. Whether you've agreed with every point or didn't agree with anything at all, it's definitely true that Robert Glover brings a different perspective to a topic that we sometimes shy away from talking about. I'd want to say, oh, what a nice guy, but definitely I'm not going to do that. Before I go, let me remind you that you have a role to play. So spread the word on slow-mo, tell others what you learn, and follow me on social media so that we can connect closer 
and speak about what you would like to see here on Slow-Mo and your feedback on any of the topics we've discussed. I am Mo underscore Gaudet on Instagram, mo.gaudet.personal on Facebook, Mo Gaudet on LinkedIn, and M Gaudet on Twitter. I hope to hear from you soon, and I'm very grateful for the opportunity that you give me to talk to such interesting people on such interesting topics. I love you all for listening, and I'll see you next time.